This is The Blood Doctor Show. On a Wednesday. On a crazy Wednesday. On an absolutely fucking insane next level beyond maybe anything we've seen since the decision Wednesday. I don't really know how else to put this. I remember the trade deadline when the Suns traded Goran Dragic to the Heat and all the other deals that occurred that day. I remember the decision and how insane that was. I've been a part of many trade NBA Twitter situations, but I just can't... I can't remember anything that blew up the world, the NBA world, that wasn't a bubble or a pandemic or a league cancellation, like this James Harden trade to Brooklyn, which has, at least thus far, been expanded to a four-team trade. Who knows what other iterations or potential follow-ups may potentially occur. I've had to restart my thought process here a couple of times as more variations and more pivots have come in on this deal. But first off, I am wrong. I have been sitting here talking about how I believe that James Harden would be traded to the Warriors and it made so much sense. And I mean, it does still make sense. It didn't happen though. Um, And I sat here and said it will occur and blah, blah, etc. This, that, and the other. And it didn't happen. And James Harden, assuming that physicals and trade calls and all that good stuff are completed, this kind of deal doesn't happen without basically being guaranteed to happen like we wouldn't hear this leaks if it wasn't going to happen so it's happening and it's exciting it's interesting it's cool but we're also seeing the future being shaped for multiple franchises really three here cleveland is a participant in the trade but really just a facilitator not you know anyone who's nothing that cleveland did in this trade really changes their future it helps their future really um but it doesn't they're not they didn't receive a franchise changing talent per se but there are all stars moving all around in this deal so right now as as the deal is as i know it there could be other variations or pieces to come in and i'm keeping an eye on that as i record here so that over the next hour or so, if something changes, I'll have some notification of that. But in any case, as the deal currently stands as I know it, this is a complicated deal, okay? Here's what I know so far. There can be changes. But the Rockets are getting Victor Oladipo from the Pacers. They're getting Rodion Skrooks. Hope I pronounced that incorrectly. Dante Exum, they're getting four first-round picks that are unprotected. 2022, 2024, and 2026 from the Nets, and a 2022 unprotected pick from the Bucks via Cleveland. And they're also getting four pick swaps in 2021, 2023, 2025, and 2027. That's effectively up to eight first-round picks. Now, the swaps, obviously for the latter picks a pick swap essentially means if I pick 27 and they pick 10 I have the right to swap 
27 and 10 with no other nothing. That's just the right. I have the right to swap those picks. I don't need to provide them anything else. Now, I still have to give up the 27th pick if I'm taking the 10th pick from them. But technically, you could look at this as acquiring up to eight first-round picks. And you might theoretically, in that sense, lose four first-round picks, but all the picks you're losing are lower than the picks you're acquiring. So again, you're just moving those picks up. So this is good news. Now, especially with the pick this year, it's more likely that the Nets pick will be higher than the Rockets pick, so they probably won't swap. But the point is, it's still early in the season. You never know what may occur. This is a phenomenal fucking trade for the Rockets. Okay, when Daryl Morey left the Rockets, we all basically assumed that their ability to trade away James Harden and acquire actual value for him was going to be destroyed. And that is fucking wrong. Because Raphael Stone has done the job. He has done the job in a way that I never anticipated that that he could have done. And I'm not saying that I'm not saying that everyone thought he was going to be bad at his job, but Daryl Morey is regarded as one of the best GMs in the league. So when everything went south and he suddenly bolted and James Harden asked for a trade, I mean, these things don't look good. And everyone assumed that it was going to be a three quarters on the dollar sort of situation or, you know, you're not getting value situation, however you want to describe that. And that is simply not the case because not only did Houston acquire unbelievable fucking value for James Harden? Like, like, I mean, I guess we could argue that the Pelicans got more value for Anthony Davis in terms of actually getting players that we know are good, but it's possible that this trade could end up being like an unreal trade for the Rockets because of, you know, what the potential is. Now, their scouting department has to maximize all these picks. So, there's some possibility that if they don't do things well, that it won't go as we hope. That always exists within these scenarios. Um, but anytime you're trading a franchise superstar, if you get a boatload of picks, and this is a fucking boatload, this is a yacht load, this is a cruise liner load full of picks. If you get that, then you've got to assume that Houston is saying, okay, what we're going to do now is invest in our scouting department and our analytics department, and we're going to make sure that we understand every single prospect coming out of college, out of Europe, out of the G League, wherever they may be, out of high school, after the double draft. Because remember, the double draft is coming soon. We're getting rid of the high school restriction soon, and we're going to allow high school players back into the NBA. So if that's the case, and we're allowing that, that's just another area that Houston can scout, especially because... You know, these picks carry out over the next decade. We've been sitting here talking about how, you know, how Oklahoma City has everyone's picks for the next decade and blah, 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 etc. Sam Presti's a genius, all these things, because he made all these moves. Well, let's go ahead and sit there and golf clap for Raphael Stone, because this is a hell of a move. Everyone said there was no way that the Rockets were going to get value for James Harden. Everyone said that there was no way that they were going to make moves that would be acceptable. And everyone said that all the moves they made would put them back in the dark. But let's go ahead and have a look at what the Rockets have done, okay? They've bought in Christian Wood, who has proven to be significantly better than anyone anticipated. Even those of us who believe Christian Wood was good and would flourish in this system, he's been better than we anticipated. They have hired Steven Silas, who is a guy that I have championed for years 
as a phenomenal coach, and he has proven that he is a phenomenal coach, and he has already taken them to the next level. They traded for John Wall, and not only did they acquire John Wall, but they acquired a first-round pick as well. Now, a lot of people said, well, Russell Westbrook is clearly better than John Wall and blah, blah, etc. Russell Westbrook has been terrible, and John Wall is younger, okay? And they got a first-round pick on top of it, and John Wall looks like John Wall again, and they've signed a reinvigorated Boogie Cousins, who is probably never going to be an elite player again, but is always going to be a solid bench player. And now... They've traded James Harden, and not only have they traded James Harden, but they've also flipped Karis LeVert, who they acquired, for Victor Oladipo. So you've built a team of Steven Silas, who's a phenomenal coach, and yes, I'm including him in the team because I've been all over this hire forever, and I'm so on board with it, and I'm so psyched about it, and now I'm even more psyched about it. So you've built this team, John Wall, Victor Oladipo, You've got Christian Wood and Boogie Cousins. They've got some depth available. At this point, it seems like they kept P.J. Tucker. Like, I love this team. Sure, they need help on the wing. Sure, there are things that can be improved. But the Rockets have done what the Rockets have always done. Not only did they manage to rebuild their team, and not only did they manage to make an incredible trade, But they also managed to stay good. So the Rockets are now a good team with Wall and Oladipo, who looks like Victor Oladipo again, and Christian Wood, who looks better than he's ever looked, and Steven Silas, who's a much better coach than anyone else would have anticipated. But now you've got some quality depth, and now you've got picks and picks and picks. And, you know, what happened today in terms of the media Last night, everyone knows James Harden came out and basically trashed his own team and said that this team is not good enough, and what else can I do? I love this city, but blah, blah, blah. He trashed his own people. I mean, look, James Harden has made himself look like an asshole, and he seems to have no problem with it, and more power to him. He wants to be where he wants to be. He wants to live his life how he wants to live. That's fine, but, you know... It will change the way people look at you in history. It isn't the old days when all this stuff gets forgotten because there's no social media. All this stuff will be remembered. And if James doesn't really give a shit about that, and he just hates everything and wanted to be in Brooklyn, and that's the only thing he cared about, then fine. That's exactly what he got, and that's completely fine. Good for him. He got what he wanted. So I don't think that... I don't think that James Harden cares what anyone thinks about him. I think that he's completely happy with how things worked out for himself, and that's fine. Good for him. But it will certainly affect the way that he's viewed in Houston. You know, saying, I love the city, doesn't, like, somehow undo all of the things that occurred or make it likely that you can return to Houston and not be booed or that you can go to Houston strip clubs and not have to pay full price for, (laughs) you know, whatever. I don't know. That's... That's a failed joke on my part. But anyway, the point is that Harden's forced his way to get what he wanted. Fine. He's in the place he wants. But Houston has done what they've always done. They've rebuilt on the fly. And they've created a halfway decent team. Like, just truth be told, this team is not bad at all. And so now you've created a scenario, if you're Houston, where not only do you own the entire Nets future, if things don't go well, which is... You know, always possible. Maybe they will go well, maybe they won't. But you own the entire Nets future, and you've built a really good team right now. 
you know, Wall, Oladipo, and Wood, that's a really nice big three right now. All three of those guys, it's, I mean, Wall and Oladipo are coming off injury. Wood is kind of coming out of nowhere. The, the Rockets are building like a, a 2004 Pistons team that's going to be significantly better than anyone have, would have anticipated. Now, my man Keith said, it's exciting. We're getting rid of Harden. Now he's in the Eastern Conference. Well, yeah, except that the Rockets are doing a phenomenal job of rebuilding on the fly, as they always do. And so now we're in a situation where the Rockets are a really good team. Oladipo looks like himself. Wall looks like himself. Boogie may not ever be Boogie, but Wood is really good. Suddenly, this team can ball. And, I mean, there's no question that this Rockets team is a playoff team. You know, I was hoping that the Harden trade might gut their team and leave them with no ability to make the playoffs and just take a team out of it. But that's not what happened here. The Rockets did a phenomenal job, and now they have a playoff team on top of, you know, what they already acquired in picks. So you've got a good team plus the Nets future. So you don't have to worry about your own future. Maybe your picks will come later. You don't have to try to tank or anything like that. You just have to hope for bad things for the Nets, which, you know, I mean, who knows? But um this is a great trade for the Rockets. Everything they just did is phenomenal, truly. And then looking at it from the perspective of other teams, I mean, we all know why the Nets did this, right? Kyrie, Harden, and Durant. Now, there's some speculation about what's up with Kyrie. I came out recently and said that I was on board with Kyrie taking a mental health break, and it seems like Kyrie didn't so much take a mental health break as he did actually say, I'm not going to worry about basketball right now because I'm more focused on social injustice. And Kyrie has basically said at this point that he's you know, more focused on real life issues than basketball. And guess what? That's completely fine. We've all taken sabbaticals from work. We've all had times where we felt overwhelmed and we've all become disinterested in a game when there were real world stakes involved. So anyone who's mad at Kyrie Irving or anyone who thinks that Kyrie is a bad person right now or blah, 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 all those people need to fuck off because what Kyrie Irving is doing is taking a stand for what is right. And as much as I loved Kyrie in the past for his clutch basketball skills, I love him even more now for his ability to stand up for what's right. So if he chooses to take time off from the Nets, then, you know, we just need to allow that. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in the minute in terms of the Nets future. But for the moment, let's suppose there are questions abound, but let's suppose that what the Nets have done is create a big three of Kyrie Irving Kevin Durant, and now James Harden. I mean, offensively, the questions that we had about the Nets still remain. Can they stop anybody? But the other side of that coin is, can anyone stop them? And the answer is no. Kyrie Harden and and and, and Durant are literally an unstoppable trio. I mean, that's the best offensive trio ever. Bosch, LeBron, and Wade are not that good of an offensive trio, and they were not that good of an offensive trio in their prime. They were a better defensive trio, of course. LeBron and Wade were both phenomenal defenders. Bosch had his moments on defense for sure. So in terms of, you know, trios, I'm not saying they're necessarily the best trio, but I'm just saying Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden literally could never be stopped. That's that's not an offense that you could stop, and it wouldn't really matter who you compiled it wouldn't matter what defenders in their prime you put together. Those three dudes will get buckets. 
those three dudes will get buckets on the Monstars from Space Jam 2, whatever those people are about to be. So the point is that this offense will now be the most unstoppable offense basically ever. Um, I know that we don't know what's up with Kyrie. Um, I don't really think that Kyrie is going to leave the game though. I, you know, I, I think that there's some possibility that, um, well, you know, again, the Kyrie thing is just tough because Kyrie is focused on social reform right now. He's focused on something that's significantly more important. Kyrie is focused on creating a better world for people of color, creating a better world for his children and grandchildren. And that's just simply more important than basketball. And it just doesn't really matter what aspirations the Brooklyn Nets have this season, next season, or beyond. It's simply more important. And there are some people who think that Kyrie may choose to step away from basketball long term. And if he does, good for him. Because if he chooses to step away from basketball long term, that means that he's stepping away from something that gains him money in order to focus on something that helps people survive and live. And that's just more important. And there's no scenario that it's not more important. So anyone who wants to trash or dog Kyrie for what he's doing as a person or the choices he's making as an individual are simply wrong. And that's just how that is. As far as the pairing of James Harden and Kevin Durant go, I want to claim vindication. Regardless of whether or not Kyrie is there, I want to claim vindication. Because, and I'm frustrated with myself because I deleted this Twitter account. I started a Twitter account in 2010. I think it was blunt underscore doctor underscore LBC. Because I lived in Long Beach at the time. I'm not 100% sure. But in any case, I spent too much time on Twitter, so I eventually deleted it. But at that time... One thing I was very adamant tweeting about was the fact that the Thunder should not trade James Harden. They should trade Russell Westbrook. And the reason that I thought that, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Russell Westbrook would have obviously given them a much, much higher trade return. At that time, Westbrook was at the height of his trade value. You could have traded him for, you know, this this type of package. I thought that Harden was going to age better as a player, which again has been proven to be true. And I also thought that Harden and Durant were a better duo than Westbrook and Durant. And I think that all of those things have proven to be true, especially given the fact that Harden basically now forced a trade to go play with Kevin again. And I do kind of wonder, despite the locational issues of Oklahoma City, I wonder if the Thunder had traded Westbrook instead of trading Harden, would they still have Kevin Durant and James Harden right now? Probably not. I'm going to assume that it's unlikely that those two guys who are known to want to live in cities that they love would have stayed in Oklahoma City. I think that it's probably fairly unlikely, and I think that it's not something that... I I, I don't think it's something that Oklahoma City needs to kick themselves about too much, because I think that it would probably have gone this way no matter what. However... The fact that Durant and Harden want to play together at this point, and the fact that you had them before, and the fact that you traded Harden and instead kept the guy that both of these guys couldn't stand being around early in their career and later, it's got to hurt Oklahoma City fans. So, vindication for me. Vindication for the Nets, because they hired Sean Marks and thought they could turn everything around, and they have. Also vindication for the Nets because Boston has not actually technically done better than them. I mean, Celtics fans and Celtics media have trashed the Nets for the, 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 the Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett trade. And rightly so, just in terms of value, I've trashed, um, 
you know, Billy King for that so many times. Not only just I've written articles about it on various blogs over the years. However, the Celtics have achieved what? One conference finals in that time? The Nets maybe got to the second round or something. So neither of them have really done anything. And the Nets now have a trio of stars and Boston has one guaranteed star and one up-and-coming star. It's just interesting. But it's vindication for the Nets. They get James Harden. They also pick up a 2024 second-round pick from Cleveland. That doesn't seem like much, typically, a second-rounder. However, these days, second-rounders are becoming more valuable, especially from bad teams, because a pick in the early second round really ends up being more valuable than a pick in the back end of the first round because it's a cheaper contract and it's more controllable for the team. And if you're a second-round pick in the NBA, you're basically excited to sign any contract you can get. So you'll basically take whatever the team offers you. Um, now, there's some possibility that Cleveland gets better and that this isn't a high second-round pick, but obviously the Nets could give a shit about that. They did this to acquire James Harden. Now, in terms of championship equity... I don't care how bad the Nets defense is going to be. Um, they're a contender. Now, the interesting thing here is we've all known the, is the center situation. Everyone talks about it. Everyone knows this scenario. Kyrie and Kevin Durant love DeAndre Jordan. They wanted him on the team. Everyone knows Jared Allen is a better center. It has been frustrating that DeAndre Jordan has continued to start and play over Jared Allen. Everyone knows that it should be the other way around. Well, the Nets have solved that problem by trading Jared Allen. So they've resigned themselves to be worse on defense, but DeAndre Jordan will obviously retain the starting position. And essentially what this means is that your Brooklyn Nets now have an incredible, incredible, incredible offense and no defense. I mean... Even the guys like role players now, Dinwiddie, who knows what will occur there. He's out for the year. He's a free agent. They may not be able to resign him, you know, given the, the, the financial commitments they have. But like Joe Harris, Joe Harris is playing and he's not, I mean, he's not a horrendous defender. He's not just like an absolute turnstile like some guys, but he's certainly not elite. And DeAndre Jordan is not what he once was. And if you have a lineup that's like Kyrie and Harden and Durant and Joe Harris and DeAndre Jordan, like, I mean, we're just going to see track meets. And from a gambling perspective, if you're a gambler, the one thing that I can tell you right now is that you need to be excited to bet the over in every Nets game that exists. And I'm going to kick my own ass because last night I bet the Nuggets to beat the Nets and I was such a stupid bet. I had it in a parlay. I don't understand why I didn't take the over in a Nets game. I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. The Nets and Nuggets, there's no defense there. What was I thinking? Why did I bet the Nuggets to win? When the Nuggets were up 18... Like in the first half, I was like, they're totally going to lose this game. And that's exactly what happened. And I saw my dumb ass punching my own head against the wall for making a dumb ass bet. And that's exactly happened. So all of those things occurred. I don't care if you see 252. Never take the under on the Nets, especially now. For the Nets, though, of course, the real question is, does this create the ability for them to compete with the Lakers? And I mean, that's honestly a tough question because... I mean, you can look at it from one specific angle, big three versus big two. So in that scenario, three is better than two. Sure. But we also know that one of those has LeBron 
And even though it's two, it's still LeBron. We also know that KD has beaten LeBron. But we also know that KD hasn't beaten LeBron without three of his megastar pals alongside him. So what we've set up here is a megastar battle for the finals that features KD with the team built more so around him than the Warriors were. And LeBron with the team obviously built around him and Anthony Davis. And those two essentially going at it to prove who was actually the best player between the two of them. Now, obviously, conventional wisdom says LeBron, given that LeBron is essentially the best or second best player of all time and blah, blah, etc. But if you look at finals appearances and those things, Kevin Durant is essentially trying to say, hey, I'm better. And he's trying to use this scenario to defeat LeBron in multiple finals and essentially say, hey, I beat him in all the finals comparisons. So I'm the better player, even if I don't have the, you know, comparative all time numbers or whatever. But it's also kind of unfair. Let's look at where KD is in like five years. You know, who knows? So there's a lot of comparison to go on. There's a lot of different things that could occur. But the simple fact of the matter is, is that this definitely creates, again, an offensive nightmare for the Lakers to try to match up with. And I almost think that this Nets team is very well suited to fight this Lakers team and maybe better than last year's team. Because last year's Lakers team was much larger at the center position and even honestly more agile. Like, I love Marcus All. He's big, but he's not agile anymore. You know, Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee as, you know, sort of backup centers or spot starters, whatever. Those guys were providing athleticism at the center position that they don't have anymore. And they're trying to replace a lot of that with Montrez Harrell, which probably works defensively against this iteration of the Nets. So it seems like it'll be fine. But, I mean, just if you were a neutral NBA observer, you would essentially say that this sets up a Nets versus Lakers NBA Finals. And you would probably not be wrong. I really still think that the Suns have potential to upset the Lakers more than anyone else will believe. And I'll die on that hill because I'm the guy who's in love with his team. (laughs) But at this point, as an objective NBA observer, what you see obviously is this is set up for Lakers Nets in the finals. And this is yet another LeBron versus Kevin Durant situation. But now it's not LeBron with his Cleveland team and his ridiculous owner. It's LeBron and his GM who'll do anything for him. And it's Kevin Durant and his super team of guys who are flanking him instead of Kevin Durant flanking Steph Curry. It's a significantly different situation. Significantly difficult. That sounds like something that I might say if I was a terrible rapper. But in any case, what we see now is two teams that are clear front runners in this scenario. So we're looking at a situation where instead of the sort of Lakers plus wide open field feel that we had to start the season, we now have two teams that appear to be on a collision course. And I mean, no disrespect to the Bucks. You know, they added Drew Holiday and all these things, and Giannis is Giannis, but the simple fact of the matter is they've choked in the playoffs a couple years in a row, 
and they don't have a trio of megastars like the Nets do, and they don't have a LeBron or AD pairing. They have a LeBron or an AD, but they don't have the other one. So, you know, simply, this season has changed from can someone dethrone the Lakers to can the Nets dethrone the Lakers? And I don't honestly know the answer to that question. My gut tells me no, because I think that LeBron and AD plus quality role players who actually play defense is better than a whole team of guys who play no defense. But I also don't know what it's like to defend a team that can score 150 a game. So I think there's some scenario there that, you know, but I will tell you this. As much as I've been sitting here saying I don't want to come off my the Heat are going to make the finals pick because I don't want to deviate from my pick or whatever, I want to stick to what I'm saying. I mean, it's very clear now that the Nets are the favorites in the East. There's no question about that. There's really no discussion about anyone challenging them, truthfully. This is the best team in the East. Um, I suppose if Kyrie somehow just continues to not play basketball this season, that uh, would affect it. But I don't think that Kyrie is just quitting. So for now, I'm going to assume that the Nets just created a truly, truly big three on offense. And despite their defensive deficiencies... It's really hard to stop three guys who can get a bucket anytime they want. And I'm not really sure that anyone can do that. And I think that this Nets team is headed to the finals against the Lakers. I still think the Lakers are going to win um, in that scenario. But, I mean, I, I surely wouldn't be shocked if the Nets did. And, you know, kudos to Sean Marks because he told ownership he would turn the Nets around. And he did, man. I mean... Even if the Nets don't win a title, it's really not on Sean Marks, honestly. Like, he's done everything he could. He's literally turned the entire organization around and delivered three megastars. So if those three don't win a title together, or the coaching staff... I mean, he also created a coaching staff full of... He he hired a legendary point guard and his coach and his best friend on the court. Like, if this team doesn't win, it's not on Sean Marks. And it's not on ownership, truly. This is the first scenario. This is probably the first time in history where if they don't win, I'm not going to say, well, we need to look at ownership because you don't need to look at ownership. Right here, you've got three megastars, you've got role players, and a bunch of dudes who are just going to have to commit themselves to playing better on defense. You've got a bunch of offensive-minded coaches who are just going to have to commit themselves to caring more about defense. And you've got ownership, and you've got management who has done everything they can to bring those dudes together. So there's no scenario where this Nets team doesn't win the title that you can blame anyone, but this Nets team. If Kyrie doesn't care, if they don't play defense, if blah, blah, etc. This is a scenario in which these players have said, we want to play together. You've got it. You've created this scenario in which you can play together, but now everything falls on your shoulders. It's very unique. You know, people, everyone has really loved to rag on Pat Riley because he didn't keep Mike Miller when LeBron was in Miami and that pissed LeBron off and he needed role players. And of course it takes role players to win a title and all these things, but the Nets signed multiple guys. They still have Joe Harris. They've got three max players. They've got Joe Harris and DeAndre Jordan on above, you know, minimum type contracts. The Nets are paying money right now. They're paying huge money. 
They compiled the largest staff. There's just no one to blame. So if this Nets thing doesn't result in a title, you can look squarely at those three players and say, it's your fault. And that's a fairly unique scenario because we always hear about how ownership didn't this and the coaching staff didn't that. And if they had had this or that, they have everything. So this is it. This is the scenario for the Nets. It doesn't necessarily have to be this season, but they have to bring a title to Brooklyn within the next two years. This year or next year, I suppose if they brought it in the third year, that would be worth it. Um, but I truly believe this is... The Clippers said last year that it wasn't championship or bust for them when it obviously was, and this is a really similar scenario for the Nets. They're going to sit here and say it's not championship or bust, and it is. In terms of all the other teams, again, I love what the Rockets did. Wall, Oladipo, Wood, Boogie. I mean, this is a good team. It's imperfect. It's flawed. You've still got really good players. You've got Eric Gordon. You've got Tucker. I mean, you've got depth. There may need to be some shaping But as far as the Rockets being a bad team or as far as them falling apart, there's no way that's going to occur. And I think that they did a phenomenal job. As far as getting what you can for a superstar who doesn't want to be there anymore, who goes to strip clubs instead of participating in training camp, who says, fuck wearing a mask when we're in the middle of a pandemic, who literally thinks that he's smarter than the Centers for Disease Control. As far as dealing with a guy like that, You literally couldn't have possibly gotten more in terms of trade value. Good luck to the Nets. They have some interesting personalities there, and we'll see how that goes. But there's literally no way that they could have gotten more in terms of trade value. Even the trade that I was proposing in terms of what the Warriors could have offered, I'm not sure, equals the level of potentially having up to eight picks. And again, I know it's not eight clean picks, but you understand what I'm saying. The potential to have the best pick that the Nets could have over eight different seasons, you just don't understand how valuable that that can be, especially given the fact that they've built their team around several guys who are older, and there's a scenario that it could not potentially go well. You couldn't really do a lot better if you were the Rockets. So you've got to give them kudos for everything that they did. You need to not give Tillman Fertitta any kudos because he's a bitch who destroyed this team and James Harden would still be there if he wasn't the worst owner in the NBA right now. But nonetheless, nonetheless, boy, I'm just frustrating, slurring all kinds of stuff. The point is, this is where we are with the Rockets. It's disappointing to see that their owner did this to them. But the general manager and the rest of the management staff did the best that they could. And they did a hell of a job acquiring players who can actually set them up to be good in the medium term. And also acquiring picks that can set them up to be good in the long term. As for the Cavaliers functioning as, you know, a third party, a team with cap space um, that can, you know, help you or a team without aspirations that can help you at the very least. Not that they had boatloads and boatloads of cap space, but, um, they got Tori and Prince and Jared Allen for their trouble. They gave up a Bucks first rounder and a second rounder, both of which are, you know, not things that have really high value in this situation. So they didn't give away a lot in terms of draft equity in this situation. But they did acquire 
two guys who can play in the NBA. Torian Prince hasn't worked out quite like we hoped, but we know that Jared Allen is a quality defensive player. And when Cleveland is actually already playing pretty well as a defensive team, you add another guy like that who we know he can defend. Um, you know, this probably means that Andre Drummond is not long for Cleveland. I did say that I thought it would be interesting if they kept him just to help continue to develop their guards. But Jared Allen is obviously more on the long-term timeline of the Sexland guard duo, along with Okoro on the wing. I mean, suddenly Cleveland's got a really interesting team here. And so this trade makes sense for Cleveland just from the perspective that they got someone who can play uh, as a defensive anchor for them as a long-term player. Um, and then in terms of what the Pacers get, you know, in terms of Karis LeVert, well, you got a guy who's on a deal for the next couple seasons. Um, you know, I mean, Karis LeVert has never been better than Victor Oladipo, but Oladipo wanted more money than Karis LeVert is making. And the way that Oladipo has been playing lately, it's possible that he was going to get it. So this is a smart trade from the Pacers, especially given we don't know what the TJ Warren situation is. When TJ Warren comes back, though, um, you're going to be able to play Brogdon, Levert, Warren together. Um, you know, the lineup of Brogdon, Levert, Warren, Sabonis, and Turner, that shit is interesting. Um, this is an upside play for the Pacers because they probably were not going to pay. Well, not probably. They weren't going to pay big money to Oladipo long-term. You know, they got him on a good contract. They got his best seasons. Now they got a player, um, who is cheaper, truthfully, for the next couple of years, but has similar levels of upside. We've all seen how good Karis Levert can be. And although he hasn't been as good as Victor Oladipo was at his peak, coming off an injury, you know, it makes some sense. He can be a secondary creator next to Malcolm Brogdon, and that allows TJ Warren to focus more on just cooking, shooting, getting himself to position for getting buckets. And, you know, I mean, this is going to create more open looks for Miles Turner because you know, the Levert-Turner pick-and-roll is going to be really interesting. So I like this trade. I really like this trade for everyone, truthfully, because the Nets get their shot at the Lakers in a way that they didn't have if they only had two superstars. The Rockets stay good as a competitive team and also add a boatload of picks. There's no way to be angry about that. The Cavs get a couple of utility players, one of whom still has potential to be a lot better than that. And then the Pacers get a guy who, let's be honest, they don't have the money. They get a guy who's cheaper than their current player, who's got two years longer on his deal, who plays a similar position, but maybe still has... A similar or slightly higher upside. I don't know how we regard Oladipo versus Levert. It's an interesting trade. A lot of people floated the Oladipo versus Levert trade before the season in terms of just a straight up trade for the Nets. And now it has, you know, functionally come to pass, but as a three way trade, which lands Oladipo in Houston in a scenario where he can really succeed because the spacing works with John Wall Oladipo. And, you know, Christian Wood, Boogie, however you want to look at it. The one problem with the 76ers trade for the Rockets, everyone said, well, if you get Ben Simmons, you just don't worry about it, blah, blah, blah. But, like, John Wall isn't going anywhere for the next couple of seasons. And so you would have wasted multiple seasons with Wall and Simmons together as two guys who simply don't fit. 
And as much as the whole, we don't care about this, that, or the other, sometimes you have to think about roster fit when you have guys who simply don't work together. And for as phenomenal as it would have been for the Rockets to acquire Ben Simmons, if they had to then ship out every remaining asset they had to get rid of John Wall, even with his slightly heightened trade value, it's either wait long enough for that trade value to come up that you lose a year, year and a half, or ship out multiple assets so that you don't lose the time. But the point is the Rockets weren't looking at a winning scenario there. In this scenario, they look at the trade they already made, they flank that trade, and they acquire all the picks in the world. For the Pacers, they acquire a guy who's cheap and keeps them in a scenario where they can be really good and you know continue to do what they do, which is tread water and hope that one day they break through and get a title. It's what the Pacers do. They're well positioned to do it. They've got a good new coach. This is what you do, it's fine. For Cleveland, again, they require a couple of pieces. You continue to grow. The Nets get their shot. So just overall, this is one of those rare trades that works for everyone. And it's a very rare four-team trade that I look at and I'm like, hell yeah, that's a great trade. I don't know how often we look at a four-team trade and we're like, yes, that is the trade. But this is one of those scenarios. Everyone did a good job here. And I think that we need to look at this scenario and say that everyone who participated in this trade did right by their team. As far as Kyrie goes, if he's truly just done with basketball because he wants to participate in social justice issues and solving the problems that we have in this country, then good for him. And if he just needs time off to focus on those situations and recognize that basketball is not everything and do everything he can to help the world, then good for him. I don't really give a shit about that. I want Kyrie to do what's best for Kyrie, and I want Kyrie to help the world in the way that he can, in the best way that he can, whether that's as a basketball player with a platform, as it's as a retired basketball player donating his money, whatever the case may be, I don't care. I just want Kyrie to do what's best for him. And overall, everyone is set up to do what's best for them, including the Nets, regardless of what happens with Kyrie Irving. So Kyrie, do you, ma'am, focus on making the world a better place. Focus on helping people of color do everything you can. I'm pro Kyrie doing whatever it is he needs to do. And I am pro this trade because everyone wins and we win as NBA fans. If you're a Rockets fan, you don't win. I'm sorry to my Rockets fan friends. But this is the NBA. This is what we go through. This is what we live for. This is what we love. And let's enjoy the chaos. And that is the Blunt Doctor Show. Let's have fun. Go watch the games. Peace.